This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Leadership Platform, Multiplying Leaders, Moving Society. I'm Adrian Grunewald, and it's wonderful to be with you. Uh, my uh, special guest is Professor Theo Feltzman for today's Leadership Masterclass. It will be a very interesting and relevant topical conversation, I believe, if we look at what's happened of late in our country. But always universal principles that we discuss. Go to leadershipplatform.com for all things leadership. One word, two Ps in the middle. Theo, welcome. Good to have you with us. Good afternoon uh, to you, Adrian, and uh, good afternoon to the listeners. Thanks for having me. Our Monday Leadership Masterclass, as always, today is about leadership transitions moving along. And I think we have had quite a lot of these of late, certainly on the pol- in the per- political realm. And um, in corporate environment, it happens all the time. People move up, down, left, right, sideways. Uh, they move out of the organization to another one. So a leadership transition it's perhaps something that uh, we we haven't discussed enough. So Theo, I think um, that's our that's our masterclass today. Maybe you can set the scene. Uh, yes, Adrian. I think um, uh, leadership transitions have become very uh, frequent, uh, and it's uh, I think it's a dynamic or function of the world in which we live, uh, as it's called the VUCA world. Uh, and and the, the pity about this is organizations don't pay attention to it. I mean, they spend billions of rands on leadership development. And this high-risk event in the organization where leaders move, transition, um, as you describe, either up or sideways or down or to other organizations, they don't pay enough attention to. It's really sometimes seen as a no-go area in some organizations. I mean, and you can ask the question why. Firstly, maybe there's the stereotype that the all-powerful leader is moving into a new position and he or she should uh, must be able to cope. I mean, the image of the infallible, invincible, all-knowing leader. Secondly, that uh, in talking this uh, about leadership transitions and the risks and how to manage this and plan this is that we will undermine the image of the in, in, infallible uh, or incapacitate the leader and, and undermine his confidence. Mm. And thirdly, wow. very often because it's not planned and in the open, people don't know how to support the leader. So it's like going onto the soccer field and you don't know which position you have to play in, so everybody's waiting for everybody else. It's really seen as a no-go area. Most organizations, when they get a new CEO, will do some kind of transition uh, uh, planning around it, but we can get to that, but usually it's only for the short term. You know, this, the, the so-called famous first 90 to 100 days, or maybe some some uh, f- overlap between the incoming CEO uh, and the outgoing CEO. But for the rest, it is happening informally. It's not paid, uh, given any real attention. So a bit of a no-go area, which is very, I find it fascinating. We live in a world, I think, where people move more than in the past. In the past, it, it was typically a job in the same organization for life. And yes, you do move up, but you know, the culture and the transition is, is, is maybe less complex. But in today's world, much more movement uh, in and out, uh, up and down. So why no-go area? You've mentioned some things. Are, are there some myths regarding leadership transitions that we need to debunk today? Yes, very much so. I, I would like to bring seven, put seven on the table, the seven dominant ones. The first myth is that all leadership transitions are created equal. Um, and the real truth is that each and every leadership transition has its own unique features and dynamics. There's not a single recipe. You have to take stock of each transition and decide what the dynamics are 
and then in terms of do that do the planning. The second one, that leadership transitions is a plug-and-play event. The leader leaves his uh, existing role today, takes up his new uh, role tomorrow, and day after tomorrow he is running up smoothly, he's up and running. Uh, the truth is a leadership transition is a change process of sh- longer and shorter duration and requiring adjustments not only in the leader but in his relationships, the organization in which he is internal into himself, etc. So it is a change process. The third myth is that the new role as espoused to the leader, taking up that role, is actually how it's explained to the leaders, actually the real role. It is not true. There's always a gap between what is is espoused up front and the new role that the leaders brought in. There are these kind of undiscussables that are not put on the table, which the leader then have to kind of uncover in order to to really fully take up up that role. The fourth myth is that... uh, you know, you, you've been uh, now promoted in the position or appointed to this position, so you're 100% capable to, to ready for the role. Ah, there may be here and there minor t- uh, tweaks, but you, you can take up the role. The, the truth is that you come into that role actually unconsciously incompetent. You don't know what you don't know, and you must first get yourself a full feel for the role. It it's not can't be fully explained to you. Again, for this indiscussables, you have to let go of some habits, especially if, let's say, you're a, a senior executive uh, heading up a function in an organization, and now you move into the CEO position. You have to let go of certain things and take up other things. The fifth myth is uh, um, the expectation is that you take charge immediately and must be effective from the word go. And we would like to see a comprehensive action plan as soon as possible. You know, there's the typical 90 to 100 days uh, kind of syndrome associated with the incoming leader as the healer, the fixer, the savior, the knight on the white horse. Um, it is not so. You, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Just before you move on to myth six, I just want to come in, but finish there. No, I think what you have to understand here is that the leader has to have time to understand his new role uh, above the water and below the water, the undiscussables, etc. And you can't say that the leader is, I report today for duty day one and then day two I'll be effective. You want to say something about this myth? Yeah, maybe the one or two of these myths, uh, what comes to mind is typically cabinet reshuffles where the New minister comes on board, has never been in that role, and within, I don't know, days almost, they stand in front of the media and commit to certain things, and they act like they've been there for years. It's just the most, it, it, it's dumbfounding for me. I can't understand how we as a society can think that Malusi Gigawa can take over finances, and within weeks he can tell us what he's going to do, what his vision is, or any other massive division for for, for, for that argument. And, and it's the same in corporate a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I really want the next position. I want to climb into it. I've been working hard for it. Now they appoint me uh, under the assumption that I should know everything already. But I'm also too proud to admit that I don't know what to do because now that I have it, uh, I don't for one moment want to make myself vulnerable. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, this infallible image. I'm just the leader, the all-knowing, all-powerful leader. And there's a lot, even if you're part of the same executive team and you become the CEO, there's stuff that's maybe been discussed between the CEO and the board 
certain things that are not known to you. I mean, you have to, we'll get to the components in the moment of the leadership transition landscape, the new relationships to be formed. Um, myth six, may I carry on with myth six? Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the other th- myth here is given you the right person for the role and you've got an excellent track record, you'll have automatic and unconditional credibility and legitimacy with all of your new stakeholders immediately. Um, so, and, and if they don't get in line and they don't give you your due uh, regard in terms of credibility and legitimacy, just use your power and authority to get them in line and get on with the job. Credibility, the truth is, uh, Adrian, credibility and legitimacy and trust have to be earned. It's not an overnight thing. You can't, you know, like a light switch, switch it on. Uh, you haven't got it, and now suddenly you have it. You have to earn it over time. And again, I want to return to this, which is very important for me. As you move in this role, firstly, the role as being conveyed to you is not the true role on the ground. Secondly, there are undiscussables in each and present in each setting. And until you haven't been able to bring those in the open, until you haven't established trust with those that have to follow you and your stakeholders, you can't be effective. So, uh, myth seven is, uh, uh, um, is, is the one also, you know, uh, managing the transition. And this is a solo flying act for the transitioning leader. He must make it work. So he's out there on his own. And it's kind of being thrown in the deep end. It is not a, a, a solo flying act. It must be the whole transition must be proactively conceived, formalized, organizationally supported, a process around the leader to move them in the position and support them and also those surrounding him. Like, you know, the team is going to work with. How do you actually help the leader to establish relationships with members and vice versa, the members with a new incoming leader? All right. So thank you. Clearly a couple of myths that we needed to bust there. Um, can we look at a basic map of the leadership transition landscape, what it looks yeah. like? Uh, can I call it, Adrian, the, the Lego blocks? The first thing, there's a, there's a time one, that's leader in current position, and a time two where the leader's moving in the new position. I mean, the blocks is the role, the leader, of course, the leader's going to move in the role. That's the second building block. The third building block is the relationships in which the current leader is which are going to time one, you've got certain relationships, you're moving in the new role, there's, there's uh, different relationships. The first, uh, fourth uh, bubble uh, or building block is the organization itself that may stay the same, may be different, and then the context in which the transition is happening. So you've got these five uh, building blocks at time one, and then at time two, any of those, one or more, of those five can look differently. And of course, between time one, times one and times two, you've got the transition process. What triggers it, what conditions influence it, and what are the outcomes? So I think you must have a picture of the, the lay of the land in terms of looking and planning around leadership transitions. Okay, so in other words, if I, if I transition in the same organization, then the, um, let's see, relationships might to some degree still be the same, but they, they change. The, the immediate context might have some similarity. Uh, the role changes significantly. Um, there's myself and the organization kind of stays the same, but mm-hmm. uh, with a different context. So they're all kind of impacted, but uh, it, it does seem to be simpler when it's the same organization. It is simpler. I mean, the severity of your leadership 
transition is a function of how many of those five building blocks change or not change. If it's me as a person and I'm only taking up a promotion, my role changes. So I may have to make a transition relative to role. The context will remain the same. I'm in the same in the organization, but maybe I was head of an executive of a function like manufacturing or uh, engineering. Now I move, become the CEO of the company. Now I've established different relationships, for example, with the board, maybe with suppliers and customers, maybe with, uh, with uh, uh, you know, the community. So it, the more those, uh, any of those blocks, one or more change, the more severe uh, the transition that you have to, to adapt to and go through, the transition journey. Right, Theo. Um, talking to Prof. Theo Feldsman, possible triggers to a leadership transition, Theo? You mentioned it in the introduction. It's kind of the moves. The one move is in your same role, you could uh, recreate that role, or you get a new CEO you're reporting to that redefines your role. So there could be a, a transition inside your own role, or you could recreate that because you, and later on, we're going to talk about the life cycle of transitions. You want to redefine the role such that you, you are, uh, you know, you're tackling new challenges or your organization may be redesigned and hence your role changes. So I call that moving within. Moving up is your typical promotion stuff. Moving down, you may get demotion. Uh, that's also a transition. I mean, and, and that can sometimes be quite uh, 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 traumatic if you get demoted, but it's also a transition to be managed or, you know, you get taken over by another company and you were used to be quite an important player in your old company and now where you were previously uh, reporting to the CEO, now you sit at level three and you report to a, a divisional executive. Moving across is where you move in, in the organization. It's kind of you rotating for development purposes, either within the same function or into another area, but you're staying in the same organization or you can move uh, in the same same role, but in a new operating area. Let's say you are the regional uh, executive in South Africa. Now you become the regional executive for Africa, for example. Uh, but you're in the same role, but just have a new kind of context. And then, of course, the other one is moving from uh, into new CEO, a CEO in one company or executive. You move to another company and you take up the executive position there. So that... Uh, those are the kind of moves. So there are many of these moves that you can make, and each represent a transition. One I came across recently, I don't know exactly where it falls, but you're in the in the organizational executive team, and then there is a restructure that happens uh, that creates a group from there, a group structure, yeah. um, and then you remain in that, or, or you, you kind of don't move up to the group structure, you kind of stay in the national executive so it almost feels like a i don't know the, the company progresses the company changes and now there's a couple of group roles a group ceo and there's a national ceo let's say and i would have liked to have gone to the group role because i, I was always at the very top wasn't i as a leader now suddenly i'm not at the very top i'm on the next level my pay maybe hasn't changed uh, my role i'm still the hr exec but but somehow in this new structure i'm not at the highest level. That is for me that first move that I mentioned, moving within. So you, the relationships have changed. You, you've restructured. So my role has been repositioned. And that's also a transition. 
That's also a leadership transition for me. How will I deal with that? How do I establish my relationships with group? How do we define our roles? Um, so uh, that definitely is also a leadership transition. And very often we say, okay, just you just run with the ball. You should be okay. Not much has changed, but a lot has changed. We previously had a lot of autonomy. Now probably you have to uh, uh, abide by, refer to a group and find out what their views are and what are the parameters in which you have to play, where previously you did not have to do that. And it can be an ego thing a little bit. Hey? I'm, I can always kind of position myself as on at the very top of my organization, and now suddenly I'm not. I'm now, um, I'm now on the second level, second tier. But anyway, that's just a – in the end, maybe not much changes, but it's more my perception that changes. What conditions affect an activated leadership transition process – yeah. yeah, where we sit now is what we're going to discuss, Adrian, it sits between time one and time two. The journey in between those in terms of the, the, the conditions that can affect that transition process or journey. And uh, actually, there are eight of these conditions. That, But you must look at the conditions because it's a journey in an integrated systemic fashion because the one impacts on the other. The first one is that what role does the broader context play in the leadership transition? Mm. The macro, there may be relevant things. Uh, let's assume you're currently, your company is currently, and this is also leadership transition for me. Your country is currently a national company. You go on an acquisition spree and you acquire one or two companies in other countries. And you now become the group executive internationally. Your whole context has changed in terms of complexity. Previously, you only had to consider South Africa. Now, suddenly, you have to consider all the other countries for the companies you've uh, brought on, on, on board. So that will shape also. There's a different complexity you have to deal with. So that's the broader context. I think the second condition um, is, is uh, and you must please come in here, is there's the current situation. You're moving in a new situation in terms of those five uh, uh, building blocks we spoke about, person, a role, context, relationships, organization. How many of those change are different in the, in the new dispensation? If it's only one that changes my role, that is not a lesser type transition. If all five of them change, I have to change, my role changes, my context changes, organization changes, relationship, that is a severe transition. So it's about how many of those those building blocks change or domains, what is the degree and nature of novelty, and also how deep is the change that I must go through. If it's just relationships and I have to get new people. But let's say we're currently uh, only in one country. Suddenly we're in a couple of countries. Now I have to bring into my my understanding of the world in which we operate is cultural differences between countries. Um, and cult how do I deal with different cultures? That suddenly is now on my radar screen. So the gap is very important to understand the novelty, the width of what has to change, and what's the gap between current and future? Okay, so that's the gap. Um, did you look at the transition qualities here? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a very interesting one in the sense that has the transition essentially been changed, uh, a planned uh, role? Rather, it's is it planned? Is it paced? Is it voluntary? 
I offered to go into a new position or it's negotiated with me, it's expected, planned, uh, is it desired, is it proactive? What's the qualities of the transition in contrast to uh, um, it's suddenly undesirable, you know, you walk into the office and you get told you've been moved into this position. Mm. At most, you can have a reactive response. It was totally unexpected. Uh, it's not on your radar screen. And they tell you not only, uh, you know, you have to move into this position, but listen, we already arranged for the movers to pack your stuff. You have to be there ne by next week. Uh, do you have a choice? Sorry, no, you have a choice. It's enforced. So the whole dynamic in terms of the qualities of this transition gives it just a different flavor. Um, from the one side, it's carefully planned. You're going to take over CEO in six months' time. We're going to uh, you let your work in parallel to the outgoing CEO, etc., uh, etc. Et compared to there's a crisis. Sorry, you move into the position by next week. You must be in place and take up the position. Yeah, that can really change the context a lot, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. In terms yeah, of how you handle it. All right. Uh, I mean, the, the interesting, can I just give you one example is, is uh, you remember, I mean, and I'm mentioning it because of the recent uh, public protector report that was thrown out on the support that the Reserve Bank gave to, to bank uh, EPSA when they had to take over Bancorp. I mean, the way I heard the story, Chris Liebenberg, who was then CEO of, of EPSA, walks into his office this morning and his PA tells him the governor of the Reserve Bank is on, on the phone. He wants to speak to you. Phones him. He tells him, you are going to take over Bancorp. They bank bankrupt. And in order to save the banking system, here you are. I don't know what it meant in size-wise, but suddenly Chris's whole organization has changed. And it was enforced to me. No planning. It's enforced, fast, unexpected crisis. He can only but react. And he had no choice whether it was desirable or undesirable. Yeah, well, you know, the business... That's a very good example. Um, you know, there's a specific business unit that needs a bit of rescuing, and we think you're the turnaround guy. Off you go. This is crucial for the entire business. But uh, certainly personal attributes and experience of the leader must play a role in, in that transition. Spot on. I think um, the leader as a person has to make this 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 transition. And I want to talk about what leaders have to have. And particularly in this world we spoke about where transitions are happening more rapidly all the time is a leader must, so to speak, have transition resilience. And what research has shown that the stronger these attributes that make up the resilience are, the, uh, the, the, the better the leader can cope and weather the transition. The, the, the trauma, the pain never goes away, but you can deal better with it. Interesting, some of those those attributes, personal attributes uh, that are coming through uh, is firstly the, the tolerance of the leader for risk. Has he, is he, he can take uh, tolerance in the sense that uh, things can happen and he can cope with it. A tolerance for uh, uh, ambiguity, an internal locus of control. In other words, I'm not defined by my circumstances. I define my circumstances. Uh, deep insight in terms of personal strength and weaknesses, uh, kind of their feel for what I'm competent at, incompetent at, and knowing then where to have to complement myself. Uh, uh, a kind of being together as a leader, personal coherence, a willingness to experiment and openness to personal change, and then a humble confidence. So there are particular attributes that make leaders better suited 
for leadership transitions, of which the ones I've mentioned are, are uh, examples, that leadership uh, transition resilience. I'm starting to see the, the need for organizations to say, all right, let's give a little bit more attention to leadership transitions. People go into a, what they call a crisis of confidence. You go into that next position and you project this so-called false confidence, but inside you're going through a crisis of confidence. It's just that the, the jump was just so huge for you, or even if it wasn't. And then, of course, these attributes are very, very uh, self-evident. If I'm a very rigid sort of person and um, I don't have much tolerance or I'm not all that confident, but I'm good at what I do, and so on and so forth, then uh, calling me in and saying, from tomorrow, you need to be in that country sorting out that business could be a, a, a huge, uh, a very traumatic experience, I would think. And then you tend to, to uh, overcompensate, if I may use that term, Adrian. You go in there with false confidence. Instead of going in there with what I've called this humble confidence to say, guys, I've been asked to take up this position. I don't know all the dynamics of the situation. You have to enlighten me. Here are my strengths. Here are also my weaknesses. Let's see how we can row the boat together. Uh, instead of coming in there, and, and that really worries me, particular CEOs, uh, Adrian, they come in there day two after they've taken up the new position, they already reorganizing the organization. There's no ways that they can understand at that stage. Uh, how the organization, what is the reason why the organization has been structured in a certain way. By the end of the first week, they've got a strategy for the new, a new strategy for the organization. They've got, do they understand the markets, the products, the clients, what is really bleeding in the company? I know the conditions under which you're bleeding and you have to stop the bleeding very rapidly. But I've got serious concerns about CEOs that move in and virtually from the third day, fourth day, they've restructured new strategy and they've been, uh, you know, changed their whole top, uh, uh, the the executive team. Mm. Yeah, there's a bit of a, well, I mean, if you think of Good to Great, the book by Jim Collins, he says, first get the best team on board, then you can run any business. Mm. So for some leaders, I think the theory in their mind is, I, I, you know, I don't really care what the business is about. I'll find out, but I, I need a FD that I can trust with my life and the FD that I had in the other business I know I can trust him with finance and these days as a leader you can do so well you have the wrong FD and suddenly your business is, is in deep trouble so so I guess there is that theory uh, if I remember correctly that get the right team on the bus and then decide yeah. where the bus is going kind of thing yeah. I accept that you have to for, for me the first step is, is, is get the right team around you to support you but it also takes some time to understand those people I mean, if you don't take a cover for corruption immediately, or if that's the reason why you sent in and the person uh, has been implicated and you have to sort it out, it's fine. And it's kind of, you'll, you'll deal with the dilemmas in the moment, is how fast you move to how slow you move. Yeah, so before we get to the dilemma, I guess I'm interested in that. How is discretion effectively when you say that you see what you face You see, you have as a leader when you make the decision, what's important is to understand the, the, the degree of autonomy you have around shaping the process, the transition process and the role that you're moving in. Sometimes a leader has a lot of, of uh, uh, discretion. He can virtually make reinvent the role. 
I mean, the board says, you've appointed uh, a CEO of our company. You go and tell us what you see in the role. The other situation, the other extreme, is where you get told, here's the role, here's the job description, so to speak, please fit in. You've got little freedom of choice. This is how we see the, your role as a, a, as a CEO or head of this division. So that's the two extremes. Of course, then the third one is, is where you move across countries and culture kicks in, national cultures. Now you have to decide how much of the new culture you have to absorb in the new country or do you think you can get by? I mean, for me, the classic example here is, uh, is if you in an Anglo-Saxon type of country and you want to set up, discuss business with another business, you immediately, hello, how are you? And this is what I've come to discuss with you. And here's my proposition, you know, couldn't we consider, you know, doing a merger here or acquisition? If you do that kind of approach in the Arabic countries, Middle East, you're dead in the water. What I've been told, it takes about three meetings just to talk about the relationships and who you are. You take about three meetings to establish your credibility. Only in the fourth contact session, you start talking business. So you also have to consider that in terms of the discretion you have when you move. In terms of the, the other point you mentioned, I remember the strategy for SAA being set. And then after that, they appointed a new CEO. I thought to mm. myself, that does not make sense. In other words, go in, this is the strategy, make it happen. Um, not that you have much of a choice, uh, Mr. CEO. And that, to yeah. me, did not make sense at the time. That CEO did not last, as did many others not last. And now there's another new CEO. But that, that just speaks to the point you, you, you raised earlier, is where you don't have much discretion. You, you're really a manager then in, in some respects, aren't you? Yeah, very much so. It's a beautiful example you mentioned. There's a strategy. The board gives you a strategy. Sorry, go and execute. You've got no strategy how you want, I mean discretion rather, how you want to shape that role. You just have to go and do it. You're like a you know, puppet on a string, so to speak. All right. What are the dilemmas a leader would face during transitioning? Well, I'm yeah. think of a few logical ones, I guess, but let's talk through that. You, you see, you, you're moving into the situation and now you kind of have a, a, can I call it a transition strategy? Because that's what the dilemma is all about, is how do you take up the new role? It could be in a new context, in a new organization, whatever. But you're moving, I mean, the essence of, of a leadership transition is you, you're taking up a new role. Then the stuff that, that's around it, is it a new organization, new context? For me, the first one is, and, and, and leaders have to think carefully through this and before they actually kind of, can I put it, appear on the playing field. The first one is do you go in there with answers and solutions or do you go first and seek answers uh, to solutions? So you come in, this is what we're going to do, virtually imposing what could be a silver bullet. That's the first one is uh, – who do you involve in your transition? Do you only deal with your own team or do you uh, consider what are all the stakeholders or all the constituencies that are affected by, by, by your transition taking up that role? And very often, if you ignore one, it comes back to bite you very badly. I mean, is there maybe uh, I know of one company where the CEO came in and he didn't realized that this particular client was a strategic client to the company. I don't know what, but it was a major portion of their business. 
didn't go and visit them and say to them, listen, I'm the new CEO, it's good, and this is how I think I want to run. And it came back to bite him uh, badly after a couple of months because that client decided it's not important that you come and pay, so to speak, your respects, want to build a relationship. So who are the constituencies that you have to engage in in terms of uh, forming relationships? The, the third uh, kind of dilemma do you come come in very directive, tell and sell kind of, or do you come in participative? And remember, if you the tell and sell, the undiscussables, which I've stressed now a couple of times, are going to stay away from you. Because you're not opening up, you're imposing yourself. Nobody uh, is, is willing to come forward and put the undiscussables. There's a huge risk. Maybe there's a, something brewing on the union side in terms of a, a grievance that's been under the surface could any moment impl- uh, explode. And nobody yeah. tells you. And the next moment, it's out in the open, it bites you. Uh, next dilemma is, is um, how do you develop relationships in the first instance? Do you keep your distance, kind of because you want to form an object, or do you immediately start developing close bonds? So you have a couple of, can I call it the in-group, that you form very close relationships and the rest of your your team, the team that you have, you keep a little bit separate. So maybe it's uh, you are the CEO, you only form relationships immediately with manufacturing and finance. And you keep HR one side and, 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 and uh, the other functions apart. Um, so who do you form bonds with? Um, the, la- the next one on, is… On that one quickly, Theo, I mean, if your background is… Finance, you might find that you gravitate towards that, or if your background is in fact uh, production, you might just find that you gravitate there or sales. So, so one needs to be careful and take into consideration your background and your your first love almost. Yeah, yeah. It's a, the next one is about in continuity. Remember, you enter into this new situation. Do you maintain the status quo until you fully understand it, or do you immediately move in and shake up things? Like I've said. Uh, you know, day two, when you're on the job, you've restructured. Day three, you've got a new strategy. Day four, you've got a uh, got a new team. Uh, what do you do? Kind of, do you have first a phasing in, understand the situation, or do you immediately? Again, the point is, if the bleeding is very bad, maybe there are things that you have to immediately do what you've been. Then, the you as a person, uh, do you adapt? Or you remain true to yourself. This is who I am. This is I'm coming. Or do you just like kind of fit in, etc. So what type of person do you bring in the situation? The last dilemma is what's the pace of moving in and taking up the new role? Is it fast? Is it slow? How do you pace it? So for me, all of these dimensions have to consider. So you as a leader, either in your own, but preferably being supported in a kind of coaching fashion is what is my transition entering into the new role strategy in resolving these dilemmas? All right. Oh, that, that can help. Great. Well, thank you, Theo. Central to um, okay, what does the process look like? Tell us a little bit more about the leadership transition process. There, there are two elements to this. Uh, the adjustment mode. Remember, you've got certain discretion you're going to move in. How are you going to take up the new role and uh, adapt to it? Um, and then secondly, the two-way a life cycle, the life cycle. Now, typically, what we see around a lot of companies do, they kind of focus on the first 90 days to get the person settled in. And yeah. they don't look at the total period over which a person would be in a role because you, in a sense, go through phases in the role that you take up. 
and uh, organization must know at any given point in time what those the stage the person is the leader is in his transition role so there's adaptation and there is the life cycle which forms an inherent part of the transition process all right so let's look at the adjustment modes um, that leaders must consider in terms of that adaptation there are five modes. Remember, you now moving into that role. How do you adjust given the condition that how much discretion you've got? The one you move into it and you just replicate. In other words, what you've done in another place, in another role, you just make minimal adjustments to yourself. So you repeat your past recipe, essentially. It's more of the same. Um, and, and each of these kind of adjustment modes have their own feelings, positive, negative, Adrian. The, the positive one is, yeah, is a, a sense of stability, continuity. The negative thing, ugh, it's more of the same. So what you've done in the other role, you're just repeating in this role. So more of the same. Replication. The second one is you um, make the uh, most adjustments. You are kind of absorbed in the new so you have to make this assumption. So the assumption here is a little discretion. You have to change. Uh, and so the adaptation is on your side. Um, and you have to absorb the new. So the positive is, ah, oh, I'm being challenged. I now have to, to use your example. The board has given me the strategy, execute. Let's see how I can do it. Is uh, the negative feelings of this is, but surely I can also uh, craft a good strategy for this organization. Why is the strategy being imposed? So the adjustment, the second mode of, of, of adjustment in transition is all on your side. The third one is where it's a two-way uh, transformation. Sorry, on the, sorry that's mm -hmm. that mode two for me to remember is I'm just absorb. I'm just absorb what's there and just continue. Yeah, you like the sponge. You have to just uh, pull the things through, but you can't do much. Um, the trans transformation, this is... The uh, opposite to the absorption is where you come in and you radically change everything to suit you. It, it fits it to you. You define it. And especially the risk of this one uh, early on is without knowing the dynamics of that situation, you just define the role. Um, uh, I mean, the classic one for me is one of the, the major insurance company, and I want, don't want to give one of the detail. This CEO was very uh, successful in a, a one of the subsidiaries of this company, or they had a major shareholder. He becomes the CEO of the insurance company, which is very much actuarial driven. He's a marketing person. And immediately he brings a new, a new culture into the organization, which is in conflict with the actuaries call the shots here. He, he kind of can't adjust to the board because that's the view of the board. That person then, after a couple of months, move out because they, he wanted to create the role in his image, so to speak, and it wasn't acceptable. He moved to another organization where, again, he's highly successful with a kind of a marketing approach. But that one, he didn't. He thought he could change the role any way he wished. And that brings us to the fourth one, and that is the adjustment of co-creation, which sits between absorption and transformation, a give and take. So I'm going to change in a certain way and I'm going to change the role. And, so, and you partner. It's a kind of a contracting what the new role uh, adjusts. So it's both I make it my own, but I also adjust in terms of what has, has to happen. The last one 
And that happens very frequently where you appoint a CEO from outside the company to take up the new CEO position. And the risk of that one is is most of the times the research has shown it's unsuccessful. It's isolation. The person comes in. Uh, into the new role, he remains unintegrated and separate from the new. Uh, although he's physically present and he calls the shots, he's not connected to the organization. Um, you know, a CEO has been imposed by the board on this organization externally. And there's a kind of, a, maybe it's in the open, maybe it's in the uh, uh, secret uh, organizational revolt. The example I've just mentioned, there's a philosophical a business style disconnect between the new leader and his superiors subordinates um, doesn't know the new industries move so the person remains isolated and so over time becomes increasingly uh, um, you know in a, in, a, in a bubble on its own and then just have to leave in the end yeah what, what role does the board play here so in your example there uh, surely I, 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 I honestly have the feeling the boards get it wrong too often, way too frequently, because they would take that marketing type guy with a flair and so on and put him into an actuarially um, or actuarial environment, and then things go horribly wrong because he wants to transform. And actually, they just wanted him to absorb, I guess, or replicate or whatever they wanted him to do. And the board should know these things or somehow with certain tests and psychometrics, um, what role must the board play to match the right CEO for the right culture? You know, that is the one point we're touching on is one of those myths we mentioned before, that the role as explained to you, espoused, is not the real role on the ground. So, yeah, you're going to head up the company. Oh, that should be a CEO to a role. No talk about the organizational culture. No talk about the uh, what's important for us in terms of values and, and, and those things. So the board must really give uh, attention to that. And, and even I would say in some cases, and you can do it more at the, the lower level leadership roles, allow the people, the persons you have in mind to roam about in the organization to kind of pick up a feel for the under the water things in the organization and then say, yeah, this is, uh, is, 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 uh, there's a good match here. Mm. Yeah. I think boards must, must play a bigger role. All right. Make up of the life cycle of uh, that, that leadership transitions look like. I think the important first point I want to make here, Adrian, a, a, a transition, a leadership transition is not an event. A person taking up the role and kind of help them over the, the first couple of days or weeks and then they're okay and leave them alone. That is sometimes if you do that or otherwise you just say, yeah, here's your office, the keys, uh, and thank you very much. And, okay, by the way, we've arranged your parking and you should now be okay. And you've got access to the internet and you've been signed on. It is a life cycle that is beyond an event. It's a process. And it's like the S-curve of a business. You can also look at transitions as an S-curve. Uh, so it's a process that consists of stages. There's the process of entry, where you enter into the new. Then there's a process of unfolding, how, when you're establishing yourself as a leader, we're now moving up the S-curve. Then the third stage is blooming. You're starting to perform. You're really making a difference in your new role. Then you start plateauing. 
And now, you know, it's more of the same. We, we can delve in the detail in a moment. But what do you do now? The, the positive one is you go on a new, uh, a new uh, a transition life cycle curve, either by reinventing your role or dealing with your superior and say, I think I've, I've contributed here what I want and I want to move on. Uh, and I need to move on. Uh, I've, I've kind of reached my sell by date in this position. Or otherwise, you carry on on the same curve in the same, you go into demise and then final stage is oblivion. You know, we used to have the CEO, he's no longer with us and we're so pleased that he's moved on because he really took us, the last couple of years of his career, uh, you know, with us was really bad stuff. So, I mean, I can think of situations where a leader may have gone up to the plateauing level and the renewal, I guess, could come when you blow new energy into the organization because of an acquisition, let's say. So, wow, exciting. We're increasing the value of the business. We've just acquired something and, and therefore I renew myself. I go through the leadership transition in the same position and off I go again yeah you renew yourself but of course there's before that you need wherever you're on that curve you need feedback on where you are you have to understand that the self inside you know I've, I've just entered I have to establish myself I'm now starting to to get some successes here but it's not it's still inconsistent a little bit now I'm really starting to get my act together that's the blooming Aha, but now it's more of the same. It's kind of uh, the same strategy over and over and again, the same recipe. Um, then you must recognize the signs that you're in demise. Yeah, a plateauing. And before you get into demise, what am I going to do to renew myself, to place myself on a new uh, a curve, which implies a, maybe a new entry or a move, you know, one of those moves we discussed earlier on. You also refer here to a new star, a rising star as um, part of the like Yeah, the analogy that, you know, organizations use this, this language. That's why I applied it here. The entry is the new star and, and the firmament in the, in the universe. So, but you're unknown in that situation. Uh, you're unconsciously unfit. So you have to establish yourself. And, and, and there's this dilemmas that you have to sort out in the stage. So you're the new star. That's the entry. The second stage, you could talk about the rising star or pulsating star. You're starting to establish yourself. You, you're unfolding in your new role. You're getting uh, successes here and there. Um, so you're becoming unconsciously, moving from unconsciously unfit to consciously fit, which they are. So there's a kind of, you. Yeah, this is now the priorities that we have to focus on. This is where we have to deploy our resources. This is where our energy must go. Um, you're establishing common values. Uh, you, the trust is growing, but you're still unfolding. It's like a rising star. The third stage in terms of the star is blooming. You're the shining star. You are really making a difference. Uh, you're masterful in your new role. You're known in the, uh, in the current. You are really, you've got confidence, good in intelligence. You've got trust with your stakeholders. You're really, truly on top of the new, and you're doing the right things right. You also get a black hole here, which I want to mention, and that's a toxic leader that could also now be performing, but in the process 
is destroying the organization and and you're moving in your transition from being uh, consciously fit to unconsciously fit you know you can cycle the bicycle you don't have to think about maintaining your balance any longer you can just go for the race the fourth one is plateauing this is where you become the shooting star you are your performance is peaking you're in a nice comfort zone or rut you just maintain maintenance mode, be both in terms of performance and relationship. It's more of the same all of the time. And you're repeating the success recipe. And what you're now seeing, opposition starting to grow, where the people are frustrated. They new market opportunities. And you, you just say, oh, no, we're not going to go after that. There's a new kind of, you know, fourth industrial revolution, automation, robotics. Oh, no, people, I don't think that's the way we should go. You're kind of really nicely and comfortable. Uh, and, and in the meantime, you could be seeing a palace revolution uh, brewing because people are realizing you are just, you've plateaued. Mm. So you become unconsciously unfit, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in, in this one. The last stage, may I continue, uh, Adrian? Is, yeah. uh, is a renewal where you have to re-energize, refuel the star. And that's moving on to that new, uh, uh, new S-curve, you know, redefine, expand your current role, move and say to people, uh, whoever's your superiors, listen, I think I've peaked, I've contributed what I wanted here. I think it's time to move on. And, you know, this is very tough to recognize. How often do, don't we see also in recent times where leaders are forced to move they're not at their peak. They've plateaued, and everything body would like to see them go, but they just hold on dearly. Okay. Interesting. The last one. Yeah. The last one is is it? It's the, it's the demise, the shooting star. Exactly mm. that. You have not gone for the mm. renewal. Uh, it's now publicly admitted and spoken about that you're consciously unfit for the job, uh, and you can't be saved by him or self. You're getting sidelined, ignored, isolated, rejected. Your views are no longer cited. So you may be the CEO, but you're being bypassed. The other executives in the company make decisions apart from you. And in a sense, you also don't care. Uh, as long as you have the status and the position and you get the benefits, the rewards, it's fine, CEO. But meanwhile, you've been completely sidelined. And then you go into the next stage, oblivion, where you're burnt out inactive and you disappear off the radar screen. And everybody says, let him rest in peace, him or her. Uh, and that's it. You uh, are gone. You know, I, I, I can't help but think of our recent era under President Zuma where I don't know if there was ever a blooming. Uh, yeah. It seems like one or two of these phases were just skipped and there was just demise and oblivion and shooting star stuff. I, 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 I guess in politics it's possible just because you have a certain constituency you can get away with that, but certainly not in the corporate environment where performance is uh, measured as such. Mm. Yeah, you're quite right. You can add, uh, We've described the curve as if it's going to happen. It doesn't happen automatically. It, it actually could be that you get stuck in a particular phase, like entry. You're all the time in entry. That's the leader that comes in, imposed on the organization, remains isolated, and can't get any success. Or you can bypass, so to speak, as, as stages and immediately go to either you entered and kind of you just repeated what's been done in the past. So you're kind of immediately plateauing or you d- immediately kind of go into a demise. And we've seen that where CEOs get fired very soon after they've taken up the position. So they don't yeah. even go up the curve. They exit at, 
either jump phases and they exit early. Yeah, just before we look, I want us just to have a minute or two on, on what organizations can do better in, in this department, managing those leadership transitions. But let's first kind of end off uh, the formal masterclass, shall we say, on indicators of positive versus negative leadership transitions. Yeah, I think one must look across those uh, those those five uh, um, building blocks that we spoke about in terms of the leadership transition landscape. The first one I want to deal with success indicators. You see a person in the new role after they settled in, they're comfortable uh, with the role. It fits them like a glove. Not to say that they've worked out all the things. They're confident. They can be authentic, their true self in the role, and they are really personally reinventing them and the role too. Uh, the role, they're on top of the role, they get things done, they, they're into a future proactive work mode. In terms of relationship, they've got healthy, constructive interactions with the, the parties that matter. You see an effective team and teaming around them, there's trust and goodwill, and they're given the license or the mandate to lead because they've established their the, the credibility with the people. Organizations... They have an impact on the organization. They're making a difference. Uh, they're widely supported and accepted, and they've got a good reputation. In the context, they're fitting in. So the, all the outcomes of the positive, successful indicators is a thriving person that's innovating, that's moving at ease through the life cycle stages, and the person is being groomed for greater things. The contrast is across those very same building blocks, the failure indicators, the person seems stressed out in their job. They seem overwhelmed. They kind of, you get to feel that they're not true to themselves. They present an inauthentic person. There's little confidence, there's insecurity, and there's a kind of a personal stuckness. You know, this is the way we will do things. Um, in terms of the role, the person falls short of what is expected, performance. There's always, the person only lives in the present, is reactive in a crisis fighting mode, and is failing. Relationships, unhealthy, destructive, there's no real teaming and teamwork. The, the, the CEO or the, rather the le leader is becoming increasingly remote and unapproachable. There's mistrust and bad will and there's, there's no license uh, to, to lead. The people don't give him the space to be the leader. He's, um, the organization person becomes isolated, he's avoided, poor reputation, the context is a misfit. So overall, the negative outcomes, and this has been them, uh, proven by research also, is there's burnout, the person remains stuck in a life cycle stage at the entry stage or starting to bloom but can't get beyond blooming established. They withdraw, they ask for a transfer, they resign, and they, or they ask to leave or get fired. Okay. All right. Fascinating. Just very quickly, what can organizations do to manage this better? Practically, must they have more coaches internally? Um, what, what, what would you say are the attributes of an organization or what can organizations do to manage leadership transitions much more effectively? Adrian, for me, the first thing, acknowledge that it is a high-risk uh, process or event. The first thing. Then secondly, say we're going to think through, plan and organize the transitions of our leaders. And then actually, so you then have a process in which you travel with a leader, having understood the nature of the transition, that, that difference between time one, present role, and time two. 
and consider all of these things. Along the way, very early in the process, we're going to plan and organize it, is debunk those myths we've spoken about. Have a true picture of what a transition entails. It is the person has to get time to get, understand the role. Not all transitions are the same. And then walk the way with the person. Put the necessary support around that person such that they can, can walk the way. It also means that, that leaders must understand that a transition is a, a leadership transition for them. It's a high personal risk situation and that they must be humble enough and make themselves vulnerable enough to be supported in such a process. But bring it into the conversational space of the organization. I mean, and, and for example, let's say uh, we've talked a lot about a new CEO in the organization. The team that he or she is going to lead do they just sit and wait or can they start talking amongst themselves? What can we do to actually make the transition earlier for, uh, easier for the person coming in? But the principal point, admit to it, uh, put it on the radar screen, high risk uh, process. Secondly, let's plan, organize around it, and then let's lo- roll out the plan. Yeah, put aside the ego thing and the prior. And, and just create a culture where leaders that move into new positions can openly make themselves vulnerable and say, this is tough for me, but it's exciting. Uh, what is the support structure that I have? And let me talk to someone else who's gone through this very openly and say, so I have a bit of a crisis of confidence, but I, I know that you appointed me knowing that I can move through this crisis of confidence. And as an organization, there are certain support structures. So we've got to do more. Otherwise, um, the leader incurs an additional burden of needing to keep quiet of just processing it him or herself and all of that cannot be good to or for health um in in, in our crazy world it's already so complex the world we the world we live in theo feltzman thank you so much for your time a very interesting leadership transitions on our leadership masterclass today and i really believe leaders will benefit from this conversation we appreciate your time thank you very much that's theo feltzman professor theo feltzman As usual, we kind of have a monthly leadership masterclass with him. Thank you for joining us. Look forward to being with you again next week. All the best. Cheers, everyone. This is cliffcentral.com.